Drunk Dish contains adult language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. one of them and i think i sent melissa oh the dick movie. one the eat a dick yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but like it, it legitimately thinks i'm a lesbian most of the time which i mean is fair but that's fine like um but like all the ads are like geared towards like clothes for like gender fluid people or, or lesbians or whatever but it also, the algorithm's working yeah that part of the algorithm's working but I also have been getting ads for like send a cardboard cutout of yourself to your loved ones and like weird shit like that. What? No. <laughs> so That's I was thinking so good. I could send you a cardboard cutout of me, Melissa, and you could sleep with it in your bed. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Please do. Yes, and thank you. <laughs> and on that oh, note, <laughs> hello. <laughs> and welcome to Drunk Dish, where three delicious dis- dishes whew, explore food history and get pickled in the process. This is episode 27, I think, but numbers and time have no meaning, um, where we'll be discussing canned food, I think. Uh, yes. So I'm Melissa. <laughs> I'm Amy. I'm, I'm Kate. <laughs> We're a mess, if you yeah. can't tell. And Amy needs to maybe be a little bit louder or a little bit closer or something. Oh, okay. I can turn up, I can turn up uh, the gain. Yeah, you do you, boo. So, I mean, we said this last episode, which was also a mess, but that was like, what, like a month and a half ago now. Um, Yeah. But we are. (laughs) And then the catastrophe of me uploading the completely uncut, just (laughs) raw audio uh, that still won't come off of Pocket Cast. I mean, that's um, it gives people uh, like a real intimate look at who we are. Mm, what, what if we, we said for? something like no. we shouldn't have said? Yeah. <laughs> Never. Nobody, nobody needs that much intimacy. <laughs> uh, we're still figuring this out. Um, recording remotely is not how we had done the show previously. Mm-hmm. So we're still we're still working on it. All right. So don't be dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I mean, any of you are your own advice. That's true. Yeah, just don't be a dick. So I didn't ask Kate if she was prepared for this, but now that we've introduced ourselves every episode, Kate likes to ask us at least one food-related question. Kate, what's this this episode's question? Okay, so um, hmm, I have so many good ones, guys. Okay, it's been just so long. one, just one. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. This is kind of a twofer. (laughs) God. No. Okay. All right. Just, just one, just one. Um, is there anything that you have? Well, okay. Just what's the best thing that you've made while you've been home? I'm assuming cooking up a storm, Mm. uh, because we all have been cooking up a storm. Um, what's the best thing that you've made and is it a new like something that you tried out that was a new thing or is it something that you have perfected? 
um, that was like a tried and true recipe, but you've been making every Friday night. So now you're super amazing at it. If only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, no, that's good. So, well, so anybody that knows me knows that I love bread. Um, mm -hmm. but unfortunately my husband has recently discovered that bread gives him really bad heartburn. Oh. So I actually haven't been able to make as much bready stuff as I probably would have just because it's going to sit in the house and not get eaten or whatever. But I did make this um, garlic loaf bread thing that was f fucking delicious. Like I wish that I could eat it all the time every day, um, but it had a pretty long proofing time. Mm -hmm. um to get nice and airy and fluffy but the it was super garlicky and super good so that's definitely the best thing that I've made I did make today um Greg was really craving brownies mm -hmm. and I'm like I realized I'd never actually made brownies from scratch like I'd only ever made brownies from a, a mix yeah. yeah yeah um so I looked up a recipe and made some brownies he really liked them I thought that they were way too sweet um, sweeter than box brownies they were extremely sweet wow yeah um well they had like a cup and a half of sugar in it okay a cup okay. and a half of granulated sugar and then another I think like half cup of confectioner sugar wow oh geez I think okay. because the main chocolate was cocoa powder yeah. and yeah. cocoa powder super bitter right um, which I mean that worked because we had all the ingredients and then I put some um, and it called for chocolate chips, but I put peanut butter chips in it. Better choice. Always yeah. Better and choice. and I mean, call. it was definitely good, but like I needed like half the size of the slice that I would normally take because mm -hmm. uh, it was just so sweet and so rich and it um, used oil instead of butter, too. Hmm. So that was okay. that was cool. But yeah, I haven't really made a lot of like because the thing is, it's like you don't want to you know, your one trip to the store or your yeah. one order that week that you're going to have delivered or you're going to have curbside pickup, you're not thinking what weird patisserie thing can I make? Right. And then, and then potentially waste ingredients if it doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. So I've really mostly been sticking to like just regular, like regular cakes. Although I made a Madeira cake and it came out terrible. So. Oh, what cake? A Madeira cake. It was out of my oh. Great British Bake Off cookbook. And I don't know what happened, but it came out terrible. It was so dry. Huh. So I don't know if I just like over baked the shit out of it, even though I baked it. You know, maybe I should have pulled it earlier. I don't know. And then like the crust on the outside was like super hard, too. Hmm. That's disappointing. So, yeah, yeah. So that was like, oh, I just wasted like all of these uh, really hard to get resources. <laughs> You know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I've been sticking to stuff that like I know and I know I, you know, can make like a no need loaf of bread or whatever. Uh, and that's fine. But yeah, so I guess that's my, it's not a, a singular answer. Okay. Sounds good. Mm. Mm. Nice. I'm, I've been on the quest to make the perfect um, non bread and Ooh. I've been failing. Um, but I got, we just did our one grocery trip for the week. And I got some um, yogurt, which I think is the missing thing. Um, Ooh, is that okay. I think I'm using like the wrong kind of um, fats. So um, like one of the recipes I looked at like called for milk and I was like, that doesn't sound right. So then like I tried it and it came out more like pita bread. So 
I'm going to try the, the new yogurt recipe I have tomorrow or maybe Sunday. And I'm very excited for that. Um, Why aren't you documenting this? Why aren't you documenting this non journey? Non journey. Um, It's a non journey. (laughs) (laughs) None, not none. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not documenting a lot. I'm dealing with a lot right now, Melissa. We're raising uh, chickens. Which you should also be documenting. Definitely. It's great watching them with the dogs. Uh, (laughs) They chase our chihuahua around the yard. She looks like a pig. She is a pig. She looks like a little pig. (laughs) It sounds like a little pig. Yeah. She really wanted to be in the room while I was recording. I was like, no, because all anybody's going to hear in the background is oinking and snorting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Kate, you weren't on them when we did the movie night and and she was sleeping next to Amy. And there were at certain parts where (laughs) you could just hear her little snort. (laughs) It was really cute, though. is there a pig? I hear like pig noises. And I like just lifted my chihuahua into the frame. I was like, it's her. I'm the, sorry. The little dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, she's, it was very cute. It was great because when we had to bring her to the emergency vet recently and oh, no. the <sighs> emergency vet was like, oh, like she's making a really weird noise when she's breathing. I was like, that's totally normal. She's deformed. <laughs> I mean, that's what we've done, right? We've bred dogs into deformity. Yeah. And then another time before we do it with people. She's morbidly obese too. So and she's very fat. Yeah. She's got a little big. Yeah. I carry her around the house like a football sometimes. I just tuck her into my arm and then <laughs> run her run around to go get her to go outside or whatever. But I love this, that. This this derailed this conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. I derailed it. But like also I was gonna say your response to me giving you shit about not posting on social is that like, you know, you're actually living your life. And not <laughs> worrying about what other people see or just like living in the moment and stuff. That's the mm-hmm. that's the normal response. Yeah. My life has I'm meaning fine. if I don't post it on social, God. <laughs> but it so, doesn't. What? No, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have been posting pictures of the chickens, just not of my baking failures, because there's a lot. There's a lot to chronicle there. You gotta let so, people know it's normal. Yeah. See that actually, I would I would follow that up by saying yes. I I I, I agree because I am not a baker. I am I'm terrified of baking. I don't I don't like not having any control, like not being able to know that it's gonna come out right. And uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, the cooking channel stuff and. Mm-hmm. I have been hearing some, you know, messages that are like, you know, if it's not right that time, just figure out, you know, try something different next time. And that's yeah. a, I think, I feel like that's a healthy thing that I've never, ever, ever uh, taken to heart for because I'm not a baker. <clears throat> so Yeah, you've yeah. got to be really okay with that in baking, especially bread. Right. Because like literally everything can be exactly the same, but you know, like the humidity that day is a little yeah. bit lower and mm-hmm. next thing you know, your bread doesn't come out. It's mm-hmm. like, what yeah. the fuck? Oh, it just wasn't your day. Sorry. There's no yeah. reason for it. <laughs> You're yeah. right. Your yeast was a little bit too old or your whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how like bakeries do it. It's like, I want to, I'm in the quest for making the perfect naan. And then I'm also in the quest for making English muffins. I want to learn to make them from scratch. 
because like mm. English muffins are like crack to me. Like I love oh them. I yeah, thought about so doing much. that too. We should both do it and then compare our results. Yeah, mine are gonna be like small and deformed, but I'm I down feel for like that. I have watched Great British Bake Off all the way through multiple times. Mm-hmm. So I've seen people make from scratch English muffins at least like four times. So I feel confident. You're probably a pro, obviously, you know. Really no. Really <laughs> yeah. Not at all. <laughs> I've also seen them make like these really elaborate cakes and stuff and I can't uh I can't do that. Yeah. But I did anyway. I made a cake from scratch. It was really good. That's the my one success in quarantine cooking is um but I mean I used to do that like blindfolded, you know, with my hands tied behind my back. I used to bake all Amy, what was going on? Why why were you blindfolded (laughs) and why were your hands tied? It was a you've never told me about Uh, this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um but no, I mean I one of the I I teach and I joke with my students that I changed my major five times when I was a freshman and one of those majors was baking. So like yeah. I I really want yeah, I really wanted to own my own bakery, but it's fucking hard work. And I, at like 20, I was like, you know what? I'm not about that life. I don't want to have to wake up at three in the morning. It's also really like the overhead is just insane. Yeah. Even the overhead to just go to school for it is insane. I had to buy a knife set and that was like several hundred dollars. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I changed my whole life course. (laughs) need a knife set for baking. Although I guess if you go, you're not just going for yeah, you have to take like basics of culinary first, and that requires a knife set that costs like literally $350. And I was like, no. Yeah. Not doing that. So, but I baked a cake from scratch with the kids that was really, really good. It was like perfect. It was moist um, and like, like bouncy. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like overly dense or anything. It wasn't overly sweet. It was really nice. And then we made frosting from scratch too and decorated it. It was fun. Yum. Very nice. Sounds good. Yeah. Kate, what about you? Recent convert to the uh, Bon Appetit cinematic oh, universe. Holy <laughs> yes, like life changing. Actually, the best thing that I have made during quarantine uh, came from one of those episodes. Mm. Um, I made these amazing potatoes. They oh were my like... God. <laughs> I'm still thinking about them. They were so good. They were so good. That was like were... the one time Kate and I have seen each other recently mm-hmm. because our, our husbands are dumb and they have to see each other for work. So it's like we can't mm-hmm. we can't social distance from each other. Right. It, it's not going to happen. There's no point. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, those potatoes. Mm. Yeah. So mm. they were they were like crispy smashed potatoes with a mm. chive and sour cream sauce thing on the side and this garlic butter on the top of them and they were they were so and I I, my husband is really into mashed potatoes and roasted potatoes and just like pretty much potatoes no matter what and my mashed potatoes are usually the go-to particularly with what we were having we were kind of having like a beef stew thing I expected them I'm not gonna lie I was a little disappointed when I heard that there weren't any mashed potatoes but so but then I had found this this um yeah, crispy, <laughs> smashed, roasted potatoes, and it they were amazing. It's it's uh time. Molly Baz's yes, recipe, Molly's. right? But mm-hmm. you didn't do the really fancy like elitist 
So uh, drizzle, you just made a garlic butter, which <laughs> is probably a thousand times better. So, I mean, her, her sauce looked great, but um, nobody that was going to be here was going to eat a walnut anchovy sauce thing on top of potatoes. So yes, garlic and butter and a little bit of heat is, was, was prefer, preferable. <laughs> so yeah. And they were That's so really crispy. Yummy. I was afraid that I burnt them actually, because the boys were taking longer to do their stuff than they were supposed to. And uh, it was like the perfect amount of time. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. like, those are going to burn. And I'm like, Take them out, take them out. And she's like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, they're taking a break. Take them out, take them out. And she took them out. And she's like, oh, they're perfect. I was they like, yes. perfect. Yep. They were yep. really so good. They really Oh, my were. God. I, I <laughs> ate that. way more of them than I should have. I did not feel great when I got home. <laughs> Just because well, I yeah. ate. I, I mean, when I went back out when you, you brought cookies out. You were like, eat cookies. And I went back out into the kitchen and just picked up like a cookie, basically, of a smashed <laughs> potato and just put sour cream and chive on top of it and ate it with my hand. It was a better dessert. It was a better choice. I don't like milk. chocolate chips in my oatmeal cookies. I, I can't blame you. I can't blame you for that. You can because you don't even like Weird. raisins. No, I'm not a raisin. Give no. raisins a chance. No, sorry, Gabby. I love no. you. But if they make no. that T-shirt, I'm buying it. <laughs> 100 percent can't do it no but that's great yeah yeah fun times fun times so melissa um that's me what are you drinking tonight so i haven't made it yet i will in a moment because it has to be nice and cold but we or we hmm, i will be drinking Mm -hmm. a classic uh 1920s cocktail um, I picked it because I don't know much about canning, except that a lot of the principles of like preserving food and stuff were developed um, by by the French, by Frenchmen. Yeah. So I I wanted to pick a classic French cocktail. And while the um, history of this and where it was invented, of course, is a little up in the air, just like every freaking 1920s cocktail. Um, I do think it was invented in France. And even if it wasn't, it became a French staple for sure. It's like one of the classic French cocktails. And that is a sidecar cocktail. Ooh, classy AF. I've always <laughs> wanted to try a side sidecar. Side sidecar. <laughs> I think you would actually like it because it's it, it's pretty mellow and, and pretty sweet. Um, so what it is is cognac. Um, which is uh, basically fancy brandy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm using Hennessy, which is also fancy. I have like a little bottle of it um, that's almost gone, but I only ever buy a little bottle because it's pretty expensive. Um, and then it has some sort of orange liqueur in it. So I'll be using Cointreau, but like triple sec or dry Curacao or any other pretty much orange liqueur you can throw in there. And then it also has um, fresh lemon juice in it. Um, and then it's usually garnished with a sugar rim and an orange twist. Um, delicious. Yeah. yeah. And it's made very, it's, it's pretty simple to make. Um, if you want to do the sugar rim, obviously you coat the rim of a coupe glass and um, usually you can use whatever citrus juice um, you're going to be using in the drink. So say a little bit of lemon and then roll it in sugar to coat the outside of the glass. And then you just put the brandy, orange liqueur, and lemon juice in a shaker, shake with ice, and then strain into a chilled 
cocktail glass, of course, the chilled cocktail glass that has the sugar rim, and then garnish that with the orange twist. Nice. Delish. Yeah. I'm really um, bummed I'm not there with you to enjoy let, it. Let me tell you, that. our first episode back is going to be fucking wild. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to spend two nights. Like I'm, that's how hungover I will be. <laughs> You're gonna be like, I can't go home. I can't drive home. Yeah. It's too bad. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna run and make that real quick, so you guys can just, I don't know, continue talking or whatever, and may- hopefully not see my underwear. I mean, hey. whatever. I'm not wearing any pants. It's what it is. I'll be right back. Okay. It's just what it is. <laughs> nope. No. No underwear shot. Mm-mm. Bummer. Yep. Oh, but I'm bummed. <laughs> Um, so tell me what makes the perfect non bread. It has to be light and airy on the inside and has to have bubbles that like burn a little bit. Yeah. Like, don't you actually need like one of those fancy 150 million degree ovens? No, no. I have, so I used to have a coworker, um, whose name was Ball, and his mom made homemade naan bread for him every week. Um, and it looked and smelled amazing. Okay. So I know it's – and she didn't have any, like, fancy equipment. I asked him once how she made it, and, and he was just like, I don't know, she cooks it on the skillet. Like, Oh, okay. Okay, so, so it like, gets hot he, enough on the skillet. Yeah. So, like, I know it's possible. I just haven't been able to – but I think it's because most of the recipes I've been following – like, cause I, I have yeast, but I always thought that non didn't need yeast to mm-hmm. cook. Yeah. I would. Yeah. And I've seen recipes that do have it and recipes that don't. And then I see recipes that rely on butter as a fat and then recipes that use yogurt. And mm-hmm. so like, I think it's yogurt is like the way to go. So I'm okay. trying my first yogurt recipe this week. I because non is like chewy it's got like that really nice gluteny chew to Mm -hmm. it that's a little different than pita not that pita isn't nice and gluteny and chewy but it's it's a different yeah yeah it's and like non always like like i said like puffs and has bubbles that and they like burn a little bit on the skillet so a little a little charred Mm -hmm. okay so amy what are you drinking oh yeah i'm drinking i'm back so did did you guys say anything about me behind my back that I'll be able to listen to later in the recording? Just that I was bummed I couldn't see in underwear. Yeah. Oh, it's got zombies on it. Zombie. Nice. Zombie bomb. But Kate asked a good question, Amy. What are you drinking? I'm drinking White Claw hard seltzers. Yeah. <laughs> so I was gonna do I was gonna do our feature drink to be White Claw and talk about the history of uh you know white claw summer nice and all of that because obviously canned cocktails Mm -hmm. but then greg was like yeah we'd have to go to the store for that Mm -hmm. uh and that's not happening Mm -hmm. so i went oh yeah i guess you're right um so i didn't okay fair what flavors do you have um in front of me by the way oh it's so pretty i have mango and lemon um but there I got like a variety pack I'm like obsessed with these because they're like normally when I drink I I like a little bit of bubble and I don't like it to be overly sweet or overly tart and this they have a really good balance so they're pretty good yeah 
they aren't like none of them are like syrupy sweet. I used to drink when we first met each other, Melissa. Like I had those like wine cooler. Oh, I remember things. the night that you drugged me. I was drinking one of those. <laughs> I forgot about that. We were watching the Emmys. We've the... talked about it on this show, the Oscars. <laughs> the Oscars. I knew we were watching an award show. Yeah, I drugged you. I drank too much sweet pre pre-made beverages. I had a migraine. I threw up in the bathroom and you're like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. Let's do this. And then you're like, I'm really sleepy. And I looked at what I'd given you because you had a headache and it was like nighttime. Yeah. So, and we were drinking. Like Tylenol PM and uh-huh. I was drinking. Luckily, we lived right across the street from each other. Oh, the days. Yep. I know. That was so nice to be able to just walk over to your place. It was so nice. The summer <laughs> nights with the windows open in the apartment and just hearing nonstop reggaeton. Um <laughs> What did you guys talk about, Kate? Are you drinking something? What are you drinking? Um, I am drinking something. So I tried to, based on your description of what you were making, mm-hmm. this is what I, I hoped would happen. Well, I tried to come up with. I mean, my liquor cabinet is not nearly as well stocked as yours. Not um, many people's is. I, yeah, my well, liquor cabinet is very elitist. My liquor cabinet is minimal at best and lots of leftover things so mm-hmm. um let's see I had some limoncello and yeah. <laughs> and I had some um Bacardi limon or something yeah mm-hmm. uh and some which could be uh, lemon or lime because yeah, it means the same thing kind of something <laughs> And um, some lime juice, like uh, Newman's own Simply Lime. <clears throat> very citrus forward. Yeah, very citrus <laughs> forward. And then, you know, just because why not? I had I threw some maraschino cherries in there. So, um, yeah, that's. Oh, and I have some ginger ale for a little bit of fizz. So nice. It's I should real strong. <laughs> that's what we want. Yeah, I had like. I don't know, just a little bit of the limoncello left in the bottle, but it's been in there for a long time. So I just used it all and it's, this is, this, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a huge limoncello fan. I, it's just no. so sweet. Mm-hmm. Like my yeah. mom loves it, but I mean, you would have to balance it out with a lot of citrus for me, which you have done. Well, so <laughs> the only reason that it was even in my fridge was because I had gotten it for making, um, whipped cream like it was limoncello whipped cream for some sort of like Ooh. strawberry tart that I had made that I think came out horribly I was gonna say wait you made tarts why is this the first mm-hmm. I'm hearing of yeah, it yeah not good not, not okay good. the okay, whipped cream okay. was delicious if I remember correctly but <laughs> so yeah uh, luckily this all my ice is melted so it's not quite as not quite as potent anymore very cool <laughs> all right well I this I love a good sidecar and it's so classic. I feel like you can go to like a fancy place and order a sidecar like with enthusiasm and not feel like you're ordering like a twee drink. You know, like if you order like a Cosmo, you feel like even though Cosmo is a delicious drink, you feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's like sex in the city. It's not a real drink, Mm -hmm. air quotes. Like this, I feel like, hmm? Like an apple teeny. Right, which is also fucking delicious. Real delicious. Like, especially if you cut down the sweetness a little bit. I could go on a whole tear about apple teenies. But anyways, 
Um, this is like very fruity, very, it's not super sweet, but it's sweet enough. So I feel like it would be a really good one to order to like show that you're sophisticated, but also a little bit fun. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, um, I'm, I, I, based on what you said it's made out of, I feel like you might not like, I'm a whiskey sour convert now because you make such a good one, but I think if you had a bad one out made by somebody else, it would probably be real bad. And yeah. what, what you've got there sounds like anytime to make it. Yeah. Tuna. Anytime you have any sort of citrus forward drink, you run the risk of them just using sour mix. Mm. Mm. So that's why I said like, if you're at like a nice place where you yeah. know that they're using like fresh citrus juice for your drinks, kitten, come on, man. He's being a real brat right now. But anyway, so I do have a little bit of history for this drink. Okay. Like I said, so it's 1920s classic cocktail, obviously. Obviously, we know a ton of drinks came out from that era. A lot of the times invented in America because of prohibition. This one was not invented in America, so it doesn't really have anything to do with prohibition, which is a little refreshing. Um, But like... I said before, like basically every classic cocktail on the planet, no one is 100% sure where or when this one was cooked up or by whom, mm-hmm. um, which seems crazy for like bonkers yeah. to me that no one knows. But I guess like you just throw a drink together and then you serve it and then people like it and then, oh, it's a drink. But you're not like writing it down and being like, I am the inventor of this drink because you don't know it's going to be big. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Like, you must be really cocky to be the person that's like, I'm going to write this down. because it's gonna oh, be big. We're going to talk about that a little bit oh. because I got a bone to pick with this gentleman, <laughs> which okay, we have talked then. about before. So anyways, so it is named after the motorcycle like attachment, like the little side seat okay. that mm-hmm. you put on a motorcycle for a passenger, supposedly because mm-hmm. it was made for a man that would like drive up to this specific hotel on his motorcycle that had a sidecar and he would expect to drink like right away. So they would have this drink <laughs> ready for him immediately and literally bring it out to him at the motorcycle as he walked into the bar. I wow. have this visual of like a dude with like a 1920s like pencil m- mustache, with, like the little like helmet and the, I yeah. just have this vision. Oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Rocketeer, but with like a swirly mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a sidecar is also what it's called when someone empties what's left in a shaker after like straining the main portion of the drink into a glass. They take what's left in the shaker and put it into a shot glass and then serve that alongside the main cocktail. That's also known as a sidecar. So they, okay, made too much to fit in the glass. Or sometimes there's just always a little bit left with the ice. Like if okay. I went out to the shaker that I made this drink with right now, I guarantee that there's there's a bit of cocktail left in the bottom of the the glass or okay. the shaker. Just kind of happens. Um, so it was thought to have been invented around World War One in Paris or London. Uh, specifically, the Ritz Hotel in Paris claims ownership over the drink. So Paris, specifically the Ritz in Paris, says that this drink was created there. Um, but the first written recipe of the cocktail was printed in 1922 in Harry McElhone's book, Harry's ABC of Mixing Cocktails. Um, so that name should sound somewhat familiar because the ABCs of Mixing Cocktails is like 
really the first mainstream, like really popular cocktail book. Um, and it's still referenced today. Like if you're studying cocktail history or anything like Harry McElhone is like the guy. And he's also the bitch that I have a bone to pick with. Okay. <laughs> because this guy claims like every cocktail. <laughs> like <laughs> just because you put it in your book doesn't mean you invented it. Right. Right. So specifically in the Harry's ABC of mixing cocktails in the early editions of the book, he attributes the creation of the drink to a bartender named Pat McGarry from Bucks Club in London. But in Mm. later printings, he claims himself as the creator. Convenient. Mm. Yeah. And this isn't the first time I've read this. So Revisionist like, history. He keeps doing this. He keeps I, what I assume is actually happening is he probably changes something slightly in the cocktail. Like the sidecar, there's a lot of variations for the parts that go in. Like, oh, it's it's two parts cognac and one contro or six parts cognac and four quattro or whatever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's a lot of variation there over the years. So I I think he could probably get away with changing that and being like, well, it's I have invented this finalized cocktail, therefore I invented it. I have no idea if that's true or not. He just really sounds like a dick. <laughs> yeah. For those um, listening, I'm making a face. Says, yeah, I actually can't bullshit. see you because I have my notes up. One no. of the unfortunate uh, things about recording remotely. Uh, do you not know how to do uh, the, the, the screen split thing? I do, but I have it in reading mode so that the type is really big. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that it's easy to read. I definitely, I'm not, I'm not an old lady. I could definitely split screen it, screen it, but I didn't. So anyways. Okay. But then in David A. Embury's book, The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks, which is from 1948, he says that the drink was invented by an American army captain in Paris during World War One, which would be the chap I mentioned before uh that couldn't wait for his damn drink and had a motorcycle with a sidecar and drove up to the hotel and they served it to him Mm -hmm. so that book attributes the invention to that guy saying like he basically drove up and was like here's what i want you know i want cognac i want uh, orange liqueur i want lemon and i want it brought to me as i drive up because i'm a fancy boy because i'm special (laughs) yeah and and apparently an american army captain um but yeah so that's that's the history who knows cool but it's delish and you should definitely try it if you've never had one find a good bar and uh order one up if you're not really into buying stuff like really expensive cognac and really expensive Cointreau because honestly (laughs) it's not something I do all the time either yeah (laughs) oh that's a lie I do it often but I shouldn't (laughs) I'll have to try one next time there's not a pandemic (laughs) (laughs) guys okay can i just okay we're gonna sidebar real quick sidebar ready for it i understand actually i don't understand i'm just saying i understand to not sound super combative um that maybe you're not seeing the effects that this is having on people firsthand so you think oh, it's blown out of proportion. It's whatever. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I don't need to wear a mask. No. Hey, guess what? If you go out in public, you need to wear a fucking mask. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's fucking it. And you know what? People are like, oh, it's all a lie. It's all fake. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's, let's 
indulge that for a second, right? That maybe it's not as big a deal as people are making it out to be. What the fuck does wearing a mask hurt? Right. What if you're wrong? Yeah. You could be right. You're not right. But you could be right. But what harm does it do to take precautions so Mm -hmm. that people are at risk aren't in the fucking hospital on ventilators? Mm -hmm. Because you were too... Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's super. It feels... It just reeks of freedom to me to be hooked up to a machine to help you breathe. Yeah. I like... That's the the sort of sentiment (laughs) that when, when I'm not feeling like understanding... Uh, you don't, you know, it's the, if you think that wearing a mask is restrictive, um, people on those ventilators are very restricted. Yeah. And you know what? You can't walk into a target with no shirt on. You can't walk into a target with no shoes on. Nope. Yep. Put a fucking mask on. Okay. Thank you for coming to my Ted talk. Amy, please tell, please tell us about canning or canned foods or whatever. Also, a show you're about to talk about. Real quick, in addition to your sidebar. Yes. Uh, sidebar, live, s- sidebar 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's not a secret that we're in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, the exact location, you will not know. But <laughs> spread across the Hampshire, state. Yeah. Where the governor literally has bought a shit ton of masks to give out for free for businesses. Right. So like every retail location you should go in should probably have like a box of masks for you to wear. So like, oh, I can't find them at the store. I don't have one. I don't have to sew. Like whatever. That's all bullshit. Yeah. Those are all bullshit reasons. Yep. Where are like I and I get wanting to open back things back up. Like I get it. I get it. People are struggling. Like people need to get paid. People need to make money. As much mm-hmm. as the economy isn't the number one reason to do anything, because like I don't know, human lives should come before that. But yeah. people are gonna die if they can't go back to work. Yeah. So if the way to do that is to put on a fucking mask, put on a fucking mask, and stop being a piece of shit. Well, this is the uh, thing. Like, like consumer confidence is going to be the most important thing to if you really think opening up the economy is so goddamn important, right? If people are not confident going to your establishment because you are lack about you, you're just like, well, whatever. If you want to wear a mask, you can lib. Um, then, <laughs> then I'm going to own. I have another good sidebar for that off of that <laughs> way, way less likely to come to your establishment. If, if I know that you are being really, really careful about making sure that everyone who walks into your building is wearing a mask, I'm going to be much more likely to patronize your space. Yep. Yep. And sidebar, sidebar, sidebar (laughs) 3.0. And then I swear to God, this will be the last thing we said. (laughs) But I remember there was that tweet that went viral where it was like, our, our grandfathers didn't die in World War One, so that our freedom could be taken away and we'd have to wear masks. And then someone else retweeted it, dying of mustard gas to own the libs. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, a bunch of pictures of people in World War One and World War Two wearing masks. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like fucking stupid. And I know I'm pretty confident that none of our listeners are these people. Um, cause I feel if you like are, just shut us off. Like it's okay. 
Well, you know, don't shut us off. Just maybe like rethink your life and put a fucking mask on, you piece of shit. And then continue listening and supporting us. Thank you. We love you so we much. We love you so much. <laughs> We're gonna continue bashing the shit out of you though until you no. change. Yeah, I can't imagine that anyone with those views has made it this far, to be fair. <laughs> made it past episode one. What if yeah. we have new listeners, Melissa? Yeah, we might have what new listeners. Like, oh, what's this thing? Sorry, that's really loud. Yeah, yeah what, oh, you're doing. opening a new... I'm opening another, you know, another white claw. Yeah, yeah, hot girl summer, baby. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it, someone might tune in in episode 27. We're not the kind of podcast where you have to listen from the beginning. No, but it helps. Yeah. <laughs> so, AKA, really go back and listen to all our episodes, <laughs> even the ones that you can't hear, because yeah. <laughs> I was only recording through the my computer speakers. But then you get a good flavor of who we are, what we stand for, what we're all about. <laughs> so, Amy, yeah. please remove oh, us yeah, from this quarantine hell and tell us about canning and canned foods yeah so i'm so canning and canned foods are two very different things i mean they're very closely related they're not that different oh god <laughs> <laughs> well but they're okay so there's like canning like you're in your home and you're preserving stuff right in jars and then right. there's like mass produced canned Right. Yeah. So like when doing the research for this episode, I was struggling with like how to because it's a lot of information. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on like the origination of canning food and how that started because that completely changed the world. And I think we'll probably do another episode on like the industrial revolutions effects on like food processes, which leads to canned food like that we buy in the supermarket. So I'm going to talk more like from a historical context today. Love it. So we're going to go back in time. <laughs> I love that I can count on you both. I could <laughs> tell in your face that you were like, they better fucking do it. It's happening. <laughs> oh, it's great. Uh, so 1789, the beginnings <laughs> of the French Revolution. There, there's, Aww. there was a cocktail I almost went with that's called the 1789 in honor of the French Revolution. Mm. Yeah, but I didn't do that one, so yeah. that's okay. Maybe we can <laughs> post it as like a bonus episode or, or not bonus episode, bonus recipe. That's the probably word not, for. but you know. So <laughs> French Revolution. Yep. So the French Revolution um, was a very rocky time, obviously, <laughs> in France, <laughs> especially for the royal family. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say uh, some of them maybe, you know, freaked out a little bit, lost their heads in the situation. Most of Um, them didn't make it. (laughs) I think like one princess made it. Right. Um, So this is the time when Napoleon Bonaparte rose to the ranks and rose to power. There's so when doing the research, I obviously I'll post the links to like all the the sites I use for research. But I um, the History Channel had this like great um, kind of background in Napoleon Bonaparte and they had a short video and the starting image of the video is like some weird Photoshop mayhem of Napoleon Bonaparte's head, like a, a painting of it superimposed on a baby, like in a crib. <laughs> Did you put anything in the drive? Is that in, yeah, the, drive? in the drive? It's in okay. the drive. I'm going it's, right now. It's great. So it's Napoleon Bonaparte as a baby. because He's a baby. It's like a full grown Napoleon Bonaparte head. Oh. 
Sharp. <laughs> he wasn't so even that like, short. Come on. Uh, but it's great. It's great because it's like it perfectly encapsulates. I feel like how how history sees him. <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte was a baby. <laughs> dot JPEG. <laughs> right. Because so we'll get okay. to why he was a baby. But so he he uh he really leaned into this whole revolution thing. He really liked war. Uh, so as the French Revolution's happening, he starts to gain power and access, and he seizes strategic locations, and he provides various military advantages to the revolutionaries, which is kind of funny, because, like, right on the eve of the revolution happening, he actually, uh, he's, like, rubbing elbows with some of the aristocrats, and, like, some of them get beheaded, like, some of his close friends, and then he gets put under house arrest, because people are like, ah, you're probably one of those bougie fucks, too. And yeah, name of my new band. Yep. (laughs) Nobody's going to listen to you. That's not cool. Being bougie (laughs) isn't cool anymore. (laughs) So he gets put under house arrest. They eventually are like, ah, you're fine, whatever. And then he rejoins the military and and just starts like rooting for and fighting for the revolutionaries. So um, he gets to a point where the revolution like has no more guillotines. And (laughs) wait. They ran out of guillotines? Guillotines? I don't know how you say it. Guillotines. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, what do, you, do you think that like, they used them so much that the the, the blade like, got oh, dull? Oh, God. Oh, and they couldn't, like, is, sharpen it anymore? No, maybe. maybe. It got too small from being sharpened? They just decided to, to cut it out for a little bit. So we're going to take a break. <laughs> uh, cut on. it out. No more. Cut it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guys. I just had a vision of Jesse from uh, that dumb sitcom. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, God. Full House. It was Full House. Full House. Thank you. And it Thank wasn't Jesse. It was um, oh, Joey. Oh, right. Jesse was the cool uncle. Joey? Joey was the, the dummy. Yeah, Joey. The comedian. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't yeah. a dummy. He was a comedian. Uh, like a professional that's comedian. That's, yeah. He was just full of dad jokes. That's not a comedian. No, but like his that's job in the guy. show was that he was a comedian. But he was a bad one, is my point. I mean, he made a living, all right? Let's not dunk on Uncle Joey. He had to move in with his two brothers. Uh, No. Uncle Jesse also also moved in. Are you calling Uncle Jesse a failure? He was a rock star. He moved in. in. (laughs) They moved in to help take care of the kids because the mom died. They made a choice, one dude can't take care of three little kids uh one woman does all the time yeah no i mean that's accurate but we're not talking about a woman we're talking about a man right right oh god full house sidebar over so amy's very tipsy it's very and i can hear myself echoing back so that's fun oh no too many uh too many white claws so sorry um (laughs) Like so, yeah. uh, so the the revolution's like starting to peter out. Like there's some sort of semblance of like government in France at this time, and this organization called the Directory is appointed to run the country. And that sounds like really dystopian, but essentially it's like a committee of probably white dudes who decide how things should yeah. go down. Definitely it's, white dudes. Yeah, 1790s in France, so yeah. definitely yeah. white dudes. But um 
1795, all of the other countries in Europe are like, fuck, we got to take advantage of this. Like, France is a mess. We should try and take control of their territories or take political control. So all of the countries, like as France is starting to wind down its revolution, all of the countries literally are like attacking the shit out of them. So Italy, Austria, <laughs> England, like they're fighting this internal struggle of political power. And they're also fighting this external struggle, too, of like military power in Europe. And Napoleon, he's like this rising star, right? So he tours all of Europe and he's responsible for a lot of the military victories that happen early on. And um, France has soldiers all over Europe at this point, so they don't really have a great way to feed them. So the directory puts out a contest. So like think of 1795's version of like America's Got Talent, but with France and food. <laughs> or the Pillsbury, <laughs> like Pillsbury Bake Off. Yeah, that. That's a better example, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> So in 1795, the French government decides to create this contest and they uh, put out 12,000 franc prize and they say that they want someone to discover or invent a way to preserve food. So the reason behind this is because they have all these soldiers all over Europe and they have no real way to like feed them consistently. So like soldiers would invade another territory or another country and then they'd just be like, ah, pillage. Like, just what's there. But, like, they wouldn't have consistent meals. So this is the first time in military history, in the world history, where, like, a government's thinking about, like, okay, we want to conquer these territories. We need to have a well-fed army. Okay. So a lot of young, like, up-and-coming chefs throw themselves at this problem, and they start to, like, innovate and brainstorm and try and problem-solve. And so... This thing is going on in the culinary world at the same time that this thing is going on in like the military political world in France, right? So Napoleon's a rising star. He's winning all these military victories. And by the time 1799 rolls around, there's a coup d'etat and Napoleon declares himself in charge of the whole country and he seizes political power. So he overthrows the directory, that weird dystopian committee that's in charge of France, and he replaces it with a consulate, uh, which is made of just three members. I was going to say, that doesn't sound better. Yeah, Napoleon appoints himself the primary consul. Um, so king. So yeah, pretty much. But they aren't calling it king because the last guy sure. called king lost his head. I don't really feel like it was his fault. But anyways, that's just me making excuses for the bourgeoisie. I mean, he was a child practically. Yeah. Right. So anyway, <laughs> as was his wife. This is the only time on Drunk Dish you're going to hear the host cheering for the rich people in power. No, like, I don't think they should have stayed in power because they were allowing themselves to be um, influenced by the people that were supposed to help them do the right thing and take care of the people. But those people were only interested in increasing their own riches and their lifestyles. They were children who were being manipulated and they 100% should have been removed from power, but I, I don't think that they should, their whole family should have been murdered. True. Not a fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I concur. So at this time, Napoleon, like I said, he appoints himself the primary consul and he's called true, determined, exacting at this time. He continues to win all these fights. So as he's like leading the country politically, he's also leading the country militarily as well, too. So the people of France get really like stoked about him because he's a wartime leader. He, they're like, oh, like he's amazing. He's he's like never lost a battle. Like he's this great, um, you know, 
this great strategist. He's doing a wonderful job um, because he's winning all these battles for us. So as he's winning all these fights all over Europe, this young chef from Champagne or Champagne, however the fuck you say it. I mean, we say Champagne, so that's champagne. fine. <laughs> I feel like Champagne is like the guy that says Flat and Mignon. Yeah. Mm. Mignon. There we go. I can't even Mignon. say it wrong properly. <laughs> so he decides that he's he's going to be the one the, to crack this, this food issue that the military is having. His name is Nicholas Appert. Um, and he, like I said, he's a young chef. He used to work for nobility, but, you know, nobility was kind of on the way out in this. <laughs> this Got to get out of that business real quick. <laughs> yep. And uh, he first he first decides to try and preserve food in a specific type of bottle. You're supposed to guess. <laughs> You're just staring at us. Yes. Uh, what a champagne bottle. Yes. Is this the guy that I talked about in like our very first episode, and I just don't remember. <laughs> because, I don't know. You know, you I talked about, about the history of champagne, so I'm gonna guess that. Maybe. I probably touched on it. Maybe. What was his name? I don't know. His name is Nicholas Appert. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Whatever. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh, so he starts to preserve food in champagne bottles hmm. and he seals it with, which I like, I couldn't find any information about like the specifics of this process because I was very interested. All I found was the phrase, he sealed the bottles with cheese and lime. And I want to know more about that. <laughs> Do they mean lime like lime juice or lime no. like the chemical? I'm sure. Like the, the I think element. lime juice. I I would guess <laughs> lime. How, how's it spelled? Because lime like the chemical is spelled differently, right? Yeah. yeah. It's spelled L-I-M-E. Oh. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. The, so cit- he- yeah, the citric acid must react with the cheese to like. Feel it? I don't know, man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. So he. So that sounds made up to me. It does sound made up, but I verified it through multiple sources. So. Okay. Um, All right. You did your due diligence. I believe you. Yeah. I researched this while sober. I'm just talking about it while drunk. <laughs> so. <laughs> so this guy after he he ends up like being like, okay, champagne bottles probably not super convenient because the food has to be cut up real small mm. to fit through the neck. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wrong. So he hires a bunch of glass blowers to make wide-necked glass bottles instead, and he starts. Oh my god! He invents mason jars. Pretty much. Oh my god. So he's a hipster before hipsters. Yeah, I hope he had like a handlebar mustache. I mean, didn't they all? And like a big bushy beard, maybe a man bun, but he doesn't. There's a picture of him in the drive, and he's fucking hideous. (laughs) Oh, is that the only other picture? Yes, it's the only other picture in this episode. I couldn't find yeah, one. He looks like uh, a villain from Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yes, he does. That's perfect. It's a perfect description. Or some it. some Edgar Allan Poe story. Mm, yep. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like him either. So, I mean, I like what he did for yeah. the world. But I don't. <laughs> We're being very judgmental based on this one sketch. <laughs> I don't like the way he looks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm vain. Um, so he starts to test his new method and his new bottles, and he uses dairy, veggies, fruit, and even meat and fish too. And 
By the time 1800 rolls around, Napoleon is working to restore stability to this post-revolutionary France. So he's trying to centralize the government and really like streamline the way things are working. So he institutes a bunch of different reforms. Um, he like creates different laws around baking and education to like really standardize things. And then he also like puts a bunch of money into the science and the arts too. So he's like creating this great relationship with his people where they haven't had a leader that like felt like they cared about them in a really long time. So he's doing that and he's winning all these military victories abroad. So like the people just fucking love him. And he's even starts to improve the relationship between France and the Pope too, which was like really rocky before because the people in power before were just like all about excess and they weren't like super religious, even though they yeah. were Catholic. It was just fucking like awesome. Give us all the bling <laughs> of Catholicism without yeah. any of the penance. Eating those fucking macaroons, baby. Yep. yep. And those tiny cakes. So Napoleon invents something called the Napoleonic Code at this time. And it's actually the basis of the French legal system today, which I think is really interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah. So the, there's there's like a whole bunch of information about the Napoleonic Code and its influence on modern legal and civil law. That's not um, this podcast. I know, but it's not this podcast. So he's stabilizing things internally in France. He continues to wage wars externally in France. And then um, things like start to escalate. Like, I don't know if Napoleon just like feeling real good about himself or if like the people just start to like really appreciate him and like worship him. But in 1802, he creates an amendment um, to France's constitution and he dictates that he will remain the first consort or consult, excuse, excuse me. I was um, like, whoa. Different C word um, for life. That's what he says. I'm going to be in this role for life. So, so, uh, so Putin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Cool. We'll get to Russia eventually. Oh, um, <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> I mean, it's 1800s Russia, so it's a okay. different animal. Sure, 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 sure. And then, like, in 1803, at the same time, Apper, he's, like, the the chef guy, right? He's, like, already shipping out preserved foods to the French Navy. Like, he's starting to experiment with things like meats and fish. Like, he's, like, expanding his, like, little, like, food preservation empire. He's building new factories. He's, like, hiring more people. So he's, like, boosting the economy. So, like, Napoleon, as he's doing all these wars externally, and he's, like, investing all this stuff internally, too, to, like, reinvigorate the country. Like, just the fact of him, like, having endless wars was good for the economy, too, because without endless wars, Appert wouldn't have had, like, a reason to figure out how to preserve food mm. like he did. Okay. So it's very... Silver in- linings. Yep. <laughs> so it's very inspired by this military-industrial complex. <laughs> Great. And- Uh, When he starts to experiment with canned meats in 1804, um, this is like real fucking gross. Uh, He, yeah. So he used tin cans and he would, um, he would like seal them shut and then he would just like watch it and wait and see if it swelled. (laughs) See if he could get a little bit of botulism. Botulism? (laughs) Who even gets botulism these days? Nobody. Nobody. So if it didn't swell, they were like, ah, it's probably fine to eat. And if it did swell, they were like, ah, it failed. Maybe you don't eat it. I mean, that's a pretty good 
judge. I mean, that's what they yeah. tell you now. Like if a can is swelled, do not eat under any circumstances. And that, so that's the, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a, so this is 50 years before Louis Pasteur like discovers things about like bacteria <laughs> on food do and you, like how that. Have yeah. either of you watched that car- the cartoon home movies? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what Louis Pasteur always makes me think of because they do that short film all about Louis Pasteur. <laughs> <laughs> it cracks me up. Anyways, home movie sidebar over. If you have access to it, go watch it. Oh my it's gosh. great. Yeah. yeah. I saw it on cable the other day. It's like the precursor to Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's really on the whatever channel Bob's Burgers is on. I don't yeah. think it was on. It's on Fox. like Adult Swim. It's on like. Adult yeah. Swim. Yeah. It was on uh, Cartoon Network back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Anyways. So good. So Appert's experimenting with meats at this time. And in this is 1804. And the same year, Napoleon's like, you know what? Fuck this whole uh, consulate thing. I'm actually an emperor. So he declares oh himself an emperor. Why are they always corrupt? Is it just know. that power corrupts? Is that the, like, I know that's the saying. Yeah. Like absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I think sometimes maybe you need to be corrupted to want that much power too like I guess but like if you're coming it seems like every person and I mean I'm obviously I am not a historian (laughs) so no this is a complete just like you know whatever I might be generalizing but like whenever you hear about a great normally a man in history that comes to power and like he comes to power through helping the working poor and helping like the every man and all these things ends up being a real piece of shit dictator mm-hmm. every goddamn time or i guess the u.s just you know deposes them yeah i guess yeah i think i think it's like it's the common thread is that they are able to appeal to populist sentiments so like there's some good people that can appeal to populist sentiments too but they usually don't have the like corrupting influences to be able to actually like maintain power, like to grab yeah, and I guess you've got to be pretty nasty in order to get up there. Yeah. And then there's people who appeal to populist sentiments who like also know how to like grease the wheels and shake hands and work the back rooms. And those are the people that actually make it to power because they understand like the common people and how to like speak to them in a way that they'll their message will resonate. Like that's what yeah, they're but they're full of shit. But they're full of shit. Yeah. yeah, they're just good at talking. Yeah. And in Napoleon's oh. case, good at winning battles. He's a good exactly. strategist. For a time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, he declares himself an emperor in 1804. Like, this, this new, like, preservation food technique is, like, really kicking off because of Appert at this time, too. And Napoleon, the year before he declares himself an emperor, begins the Napoleonic War. So, like, war, France was just, like, warring for years before well, it's all he's good at right he's really right. good at war so he's going to keep war going for as long as possible exactly so he declares the first war that's considered part of the napoleonic wars in 1803 and um napoleon actually ends up selling the louisiana territory to the united states to bankroll this whole project because he's like mm-hmm, fuck war mm-hmm. is expensive uh, and by the time 1805 rolls around he has the the battle of austerlitz um which like is his like most amazing military victory to date. So um, he's actually able to um, create what's called the Confederation of Rhine. And 
he um he fights and defeats the austrians and the russians and that defeat of the russians is actually what causes the dissolution of the holy roman empire so there's like when we've talked about things in the past like about like the easter episode or things like that too when we look back and past and there's the holy roman empire that's like kind of in control of spain and in control of like all of these countries in europe that stops in 1805 because of napoleon so the like rome still is a religious center but it's not a political center like it once was so he's able to like cut that power off and at that same year um you know it we're now in 1806 he declares napoleon declares war on great britain um the large-scale war before they were just like doing short skirmishes and stuff that same year apper is uh actually like He's perfected his art so much of food preservation and glass jars that he's like got gotten praises from um, like talking heads of the time. So there's this quote um, from a legendary gastronomist whose Ooh. name is yeah Grimaud de la Reniere. Grimaud. Yeah. This is a Harry Potter character. Mm, <laughs> for sure. I Grimaud. Remote. I'm probably okay. saying that wrong. I don't know. Some French person. Remote. <laughs> so he wrote that his canned fresh peas were greener, tender, and more flavorful than those eaten at the height of the season. Um, so Lies. he was like, like an early critic, and he was like, canned, "Canned vegetables are the future. Like they're real good." Um, and then I mean, they are it, the future, but I would argue that they're real good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they exist, but if you have a choice. So three years later in 1809, that's when Appert's officially awarded the government's prize of 12,000 francs. Um, Wait, how many years did this take for him to 15 win? fucking years. How long was it supposed to like, was there an end date for this contest? Like it was just like, oh, whenever we choose a winner, that's it. That's the end date. I don't at this point in history, Melissa, it would take six months to travel across the ocean. So I That's think they were fair. probably just like, eh, whenever, whenever you get around to it. That's fair, I guess. Yeah. It's I know, a really like, long season of American Idol, I'm just saying. <laughs> <Or> Master <laughs> Chef. Yes, that's true. Uh, probably not with commercials every day. You that's know? true. They're probably with commercials like, is the traveling oceans. Yeah. There probably wasn't the town crier out there being like, hear ye, hear ye. Sure. the head. <laughs> this is a dumb analogy and we should move on. <laughs> so Appert wins the prize, but there's a stipulation. Of course. So Napoleon's like, dude, you did it. You're great. You're amazing. Even though we've been buying your preserved food for years already, we took this long to declare you as a winner. Um, but we you're only going to get sure. Your, yeah. We had to test, make sure nobody got like, I don't know. Botulism. Somebody, yeah. Disease. I was going to say botulence. And I was like, that's not a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we gotta, we gotta make sure. Right. So it took, it took so many years, but you're only going to get the 12,000 francs. If you publish your method for everybody to know. So like you have to make it public Ooh. domain. So essentially he's selling it. For 12,000 yeah. francs. Yeah, which seems like a dumb business move. Right. 
I mean, if I think about it in terms of like American or, or like current reality TV, like, okay, you have to create this thing and then you win a bunch of money, but you sign over your intellectual property to us and we now own it. So it's very similar to that. Yeah. Where like, like, yeah, Clarkson you get for 10 years, couldn't release an album without American Idol. Right. They, yeah. They owned her. Okay. Yeah. But this is for feeding people. Yeah. So... Fucking... Oh, cool. Napoleon, great... no shit. <laughs> yeah. All great innovations come out of a desire to kill people. I don't know if you know that. Wait, like, but no, he was trying to feed people. Adelaide. Yeah. Yes, but feed only the military. Oh, like, okay, the, good point. To kill other people. No, to kill but other the, people. But the yeah. reason that they want no, but they if they were telling him that he needed to make his his uh ways public, you know, like that he had to publish them, it was so that everybody could use it. Oh, that's the co- okay. So that comment makes way more sense than what I thought you were saying. No, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like you, yeah. Your trade off is you you're getting twelve thousand yeah. dollars, and the peasants can eat food. Right. Like I get saying everybody has it because then people can take it and 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 democratize it. Yes, which is very based liberal. on Amy's face. I'm guessing I'm off the mark here. Well, I mean, like, that's a, like, a lovely theory, but people, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> like, right. it, like, when that's it, like any that. political theory. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds yeah. great. But, you know, humans. On paper. Yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah. So I think, like, that's, like, in theory, yes, that sounds, like, amazing. Like, the democratization of information. Yes, I'm here for that. Yes. But. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily turn out that way. So like the information is democratized, like, but what happens is all these private entities all over Europe and even in the, in America, I almost said the Americas, even in America, just take the information and then build a business off of it. So it's, it's not like the people are like, oh, I now know how to preserve food safely. It's like all of the businesses and corporations are like, we can make a killing off of this for free. But I would argue, I mean, those would be the people that would be taking this technology and utilizing it anyways. Whereas if it didn't go public, there would be one entity using it mm-hmm. and then they could do whatever they would want because they would have a monopoly on True. whatever. It's like fucking SpaceX and space travel right now. It's just yeah. them. Like, yeah, that's and that's true. what would have happened. I, I mean, do still, have a- corporations greedy and are going to take advantage of it, but at least there were more. Yeah. And yeah. that's what, like, it'll be a whole nother episode, like talking about what those corporations do with it. Cause like, that's like Heinz ketchup. That's like, you know, mm. that's those companies um, <laughs> and the industrialization of our food. Um, like that's that, you know, that's like a whole nother episode. So that's why I was like, when we started, I said, you know, there's a difference between canned food and canning food. And that's, sure, that's sure, kind sure. of like talking about the background here. Add so, it to the list. Cause the list is f- fucked right now. <laughs> Okay. So I went in the other day because I had scheduled everything out. Sidebar. Fucking Mm -hmm. quarantine sidebar. I had scheduled everything out for like the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And that's just gone. So I just went in Mm -hmm. and I was like, delete. And that's what like, I had no idea what fucking episode number this was. I thought we were on episode 28. I don't know where I thought episode 27 went. We definitely missed one in there. We we missed missed way more. We missed more than one. We missed a bunch. Sorry, um, listener. Oh, I mean, th- dude, 
we don't need to apologize for that. It's life. It's quarantine and all sorts of stuff going on in the world. It's fine. Yeah. It happens. We're we're back now. Chill. Yeah. I'm the one Chill, that's really. I, I, yeah, I, I'm the one that's really mad. Was pining away. I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> no, that's true. If anyone's actually sad, we didn't put out an episode. Yeah. Like, let us that's know. Yeah. You can be mean. We it's fine. At least we, we know you, you care. We missed you also. Yeah. Jill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Quarantine sidebar a millionth over. Okay. So we are now in the year of our Lord. <laughs> oh my God. I almost just, I almost just, that almost all went on all over the surface. Oh, oh your drink. I was like, what? Yeah. You look like you're in a beautiful sunset right now. <laughs> Yeah, there's oh, like very orange light. It's very orange. Beautiful. And like Mindy's backlit and looks like a fucking ghost because <laughs> I'm so goddamn pale. <laughs> no, you look great. What are we talking about? Where are we? 1810, bitches. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so uh, Appert publishes a book to release his information publicly. And it's called The Art of Preserving for Several Years. All animal and vegetable substances. That's the whole. Yeah, people do not that, know how to name their book. That should <laughs> be the title of our episode. Yeah. So long. It's like as long <laughs> as a description. Yeah, it's real. It's real long. Okay. So the same year, Napoleon is like pissed at Russia because Russia withdraws from this continental system, which Napoleon had set up. So Napoleon's like, I'm the emperor of everything. I'm amazing. I'm fucking awesome. Russia's like, fuck that. We don't want to be under your control. We're going to withdraw from this, this group and we're going to do our own thing. And Napoleon's just like fuming for two fucking years until he's finally like, I'm going to invade in 1812. <laughs> I'm no so, longer in my seat, by the way. My butt was too sweaty, so I'm now leaning on the floor. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, my butt's sitting there, too. So, uh, Up until this point, Napoleon's main strategy for invading and attacking countries is to always attack either the queen city, so that's like the biggest city, like population-wise, or mm -hmm. the capital city first. So he did this to attack like the country's heart and soul, and for most countries, especially in Europe, most of these cities are located at like major ports of entry or ports of trade. So it makes it so that they have really easy access for entry and exit. And then he'd like go in there, cut them off from the rest of the country and essentially would choke the whole country for supplies. And just attacking that one city would usually encourage the, the uh, political powers that be in that country to be like, OK, fuck this. We surrender like you have control of us because you're starving our people. So serving the capital led to a much, a much quicker surrender, which led to much less deaths for French troops. Um, but Russia's not like most countries. <laughs> hmm. Russia's special. Yeah. Moscow's in the fucking middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like, it's hundreds of miles inland. It is not on the outside border. It is not near a port of entry. Like, it is in the fucking, like tundra like it is not an easily accessible place so napoleon decides he's going to invade russia he's he brings his troops to the border they start to make their way towards russia and they encounter russian troops and the russian troops just retreat like they don't even fucking fight they just retreat so then napoleon's like oh weird so they keep pushing forward and the, and the russian troops keep they're retreating pulling retreating. them inland yep they're pulling them inland 
to Moscow. So this is the same exact tactic that George Washington used in the American Revolution. Oh! Because <laughs> we didn't have cute. enough supplies to actually defeat the British. So he's like, fuck this. We're going to just keep retreating and draw them into a trap. So that's what the Russians are doing. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm. I'm. Amy, I'm with you. I'm. I'm trying really hard not to break into song. Um. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. It's Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton's gonna be on Disney Plus. Oh my God! I know. Early July, <sighs> right in time for Independence Day, for you so to celebrate beautiful. the birth of this great genocidal country. In song. It's gonna be amazing. Um. Sorry, it's, that was me choking back lyrics I can while hear, also I can drinking eyes rolling. alcohol. Yes. No, like when it becomes available, I'll watch it. Yeah. That's what I've been asking for. Like if it's we available, do, I'll watch it. We should do a watch party. Oh I don't God. think Disney Plus, I mean, I guess we could just like call each other and yeah, just watch it Guys. at the same time instead of trying to do like a, a watch party. But anyways. Yeah. So the Russians keep retreating all the way to Moscow. Napoleon keeps like taking the bait and going closer and closer and closer. Uh, they get all the way to Moscow and then Napoleon's troops find the whole city has been fucking evacuated. And not only nice. has the whole city been evacuated, but the Russian troops have set fucking fire to the city. To the city? To the city. Oh. So they want to eliminate all safe shelter and supplies. Where'd Napoleon all the people Street. go? I mean, this has nothing to do with canning, but where'd all the people go? So they just evacuated to other areas. Oh, okay. So Russia was real good, even in the 1800s, about, like, making everybody fall in line. So there is, like, obviously the troops are getting supplies, or they're sending supplies from Paris to the troops of of these preserved goods, right? The Appert has perfected the art of, of canning and preserving. But there's a lot of issues with this. So there's a lack of shelter. There's a lack of local fresh supplies, which usually the French troops would use to supplement. And then also the location of Moscow has made it just practically impossible to get more supplies there. So as Napoleon's troops have going further and further inland, the Russian troops kind of like build in like behind them. So, so like the roads that Napoleon like fought and the Russian troops retreated from that like he in his mind is like, oh, we've won those inlands, like those roads, those pathways to get to Moscow. They actually haven't. The Russian troops just like came in behind them and took retook control of them. So they have all these Russian troops that, that Napoleon thought were like weak and, you know, not worth fighting now are there in full force and they have supply lines and they're sealing all of Napoleon's supplies and all of his preserved foods. And they're having all of that strength and energy for themselves to defend their country. So the Russian army surrounds them from behind, blocks any route to ship supplies in, and Russian winter sets in too at the same time. This so is Napoleon, like fucking poetic. Yes. So Napoleon's tactic was to like invade the, the queen city or the capital city, cut off the supply lines to the entire country, starve the entire country, and sit for like a month until the like leader was like, okay, fuck uncle. Like we give, like take whatever you want. He does this in Russia. They go to Moscow. It's abandoned. The city's burnt. There's nothing for them there. He's like, fuck it. We're still going to wait the month. Winter sets in. 
his troops start dying in droves and there's no and he's like whatever supplies are coming we have all these amazing preserved foods these canned foods they never make it because the russian soldiers are stealing them um, and killing the supply lines and napoleon's forces which were 600,000 strong become depleted to a hundred thousand woof yep so this is napoleon's first like big defeat which like i know it's hard dude like it's hard when you fail you you know you you win some you lose some my dude like Mm -hmm. you know what's 500,000 troops you'll bounce back (laughs) so yeah yeah it's rough it's rough so this first is the first of many military defeats that Napoleon faces. Um, he ends up abdicating his throne in 1814 um, because of the chaos that this one major military defeat sets into motion. So meanwhile, while Napoleon's doing this and he's like got his tail between his legs and he decides to come home, he withdraws from Russia. Like he, he doesn't make any grounds there. He loses a bunch of people. Abbott has his book out. He's forced to publish all of his trade secrets by the French government. And because of all of the constant warring that's going on, he lacks a sustainable workforce. Most of the young men are going off to battle. The French economy is beginning to suffer some serious fallout from all of the war. And then also the stability that Napoleon once brought to the country is fading because Napoleon also has been just fucking things up behind the scenes nonstop so he reestablished a ruling class he promoted his friends and allies to high-ranking positions and he begins to undo all of the fucking work that the revolution had done and then like he abdicates the throne in 1814 and then he doesn't even fucking stay gone like less than a year later he's like fuck this i want my throne back and he gets on a boat and he sails back to france and he tries to take over the french government again so He has just him. He just walks in and he's like, "Hey!" with his like canned his canned preserved (laughs) food. (laughs) He's like, "I got this guy." Um, So yeah, no, he. I mean, he has like a small force, and then like he was still incredibly popular. Like the country was very divided at this time. So like half of the country was like, "Yes, we fucking love Napoleon. He's the one that won us the revolution. He's the one that kept us safe all these years." And then the other half of the country is like, "Hey, dudes, he's been like fighting against all of the values we like fought a fucking revolution for." Right? I can't imagine. What yeah, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So in his absence, this dude, Louis the Eighth, had become king. When Napoleon returns, Louis just like fucking leaves the skit city. Like he's like, I'm done. I'm not. I'm not going to be beheaded. I was here last time. I saw oh, what gosh. happened. Like, Poor Louis. I'm not down for this. So, and Napoleon, because he had never stopped fighting fucking wars, when he returns to Paris, all of Europe is like, fuck that guy's back. Like this fucking dude again. Yeah. We're, like this Louis had brought peace. Like the like ten months that Louis was in in charge like there was no war those 10 months that was like the first time france had not seen war in a really long time so uh napoleon comes back and all of the other european countries are like we have to prepare we have to ramp up our and they just like immediately declare war because fucking napoleon (laughs) and it leads to his biggest military defeat which is waterloo which is could be like a whole other fucking podcast and get into it yeah so so he, he like 
has to leave again, he abdicates the throne a second time. And just a few years later in 1821, he dies from stomach cancer. I wrote in my notes, maybe two inch preserved food, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. Don't make claims you can't support, Amy. (laughs) Is there a link between canned food and cancer? I mean, there's a link between everything and cancer, to be fair. So there actually probably is. We're talking about 1800s canned food. Literally everything. Literally everything he was consuming causes cancer. Yeah. Right. This is still the time before Louis Pasteur where they're just like, "Eh, does it look okay? Does it smell okay? It's probably fine. Eat it. So... As this is all going on, Appert, like the young chef, right, the young budding chef who developed this method of canning food, his like whole livelihood in life is dependent upon the social political events of the day, right? Like this, this contest would not have begun had there not been nonstop, never ending war. And he would not have been able to sustain a business and uh, build a laboratory and a factory and hire countless people if there had not been nonstop, never ending war, but he ends up dying penniless in 1840 buried in an unmarked grave because when Napoleon dies in 1821, he leaves the country with such instability that the entire economy collapses. And later, just a couple decades later, the entire like, global economy collapses and there's a huge depression in the late 1800s which is brought about not just by this but other events like in you know the civil war in the united states and like everything is just in turmoil so um his work that was published in 1810 is built upon by many many other people um and it's what made possible most of the large-scale wars in the 1800s so this is a direct quote from the History Channel's article on it because it was just it perfectly encapsulated it. So the availability of canned food played a crucial role in the 19th century, feeding the enormous armies of the Crimean War, the U.S. Civil War, the Franco-Prussian War, offering explorers and con- con- oh my god, I cannot fucking read colonialists <laughs> a taste of home in unfamiliar lands. Following the global depression of 1873, U.S. exports of canned foods boomed led by Campbell, Hines, and Borden companies. And in 1904, the Max Ames Machine Company in New York patented the double seam process used in most modern food cans. So this, like, one fucking dude, Napoleon, with this one chef, Appert, like, they completely changed not just France's political and social trajectory, creating the Napoleonic Wars and creating a food supply chain that could sustain those wars, but they also enabled war across across the whole fucking globe. Like, if it had not been for Napoleon's call to preserve food, I mean, food preservation, a more perfect science, we would not have had such a long, drawn-out Crimean War, Civil War, or Franco-Prussian War. Cool, like, cool, cool. Yeah. So, like, even though, like, Kate, like you said, like, it's to feed people. It's a good thing. All innovation that gets funding, I should say, mm. money, like money thrown to innovation, that has to do with killing people. That has to do with war. Oh, for sure. 100%. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, war, yeah. war causes, uh, creates innovation. But yeah, also innovation is obviously always used for war. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like uh, that's mm. life, guys. Mm. 
unfortunately yeah. they're they're going to be forever connected and you can't as we continue to live in the kind of world economy that we do we're not going to be able to separate the two so yeah so i have a couple quick fun facts or two Ooh, fun fun, fun. <laughs> air quotes fun yeah um so one is that napoleon's not actually french um yeah, he was born in a Mediterranean island of Corsica, which I'm probably fucking saying wrong, um, which had been occupied by France. And then okay. he adopted the French spelling of his name to fit in. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So he was always a tryhard. Um, and <laughs> or he was just trying to survive. That that might be it too. <laughs> and then the last thing is that uh, his his. Endless wars um, led to his troops being in Egypt and the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, which allows us to translate most of the world's ancient languages. Oh, so, that's nice. Good things do come of war, I guess. I mean, again, war drives innovation as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. A lot of innovation comes from trying to ha- figure out how to kill people more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humans are terrible. I wonder what, like, what I do sometimes. I don't think about it too deep because you'll just get lost. But (laughs) what what the world would look like if innovation didn't come from war or come from the desire to kill other people? Like, like you said, would we have discovered canning and preservation if not for the necessity of war? Like, I like to think that at some point we would have. Maybe we wouldn't have M&Ms. We wouldn't have cell phones. We wouldn't have Wi-Fi. We wouldn't have satellites. We wouldn't have GPS. But that's what I mean. Like, but would wouldn't we? Would it maybe have just taken longer because it wouldn't have been born out of necessity? It would have been born out of hey, here's a better way to do this thing, instead of hey, here's a better way to murder people. (laughs) Like, oh, we'd yeah, we. I feel like we'd be farther behind, which I think is a lot of assholes reasoning for like oh wars are important Mm. big companies owning everything is important this is a perfect topic of discussion on memorial day (laughs) oh Oh, shit yeah that's coming up that's when this this i'm gonna try and get this episode out on monday so oh perfect happy memorial day bitches yeah it's all for doing yeah i hope you're doing okay (laughs) yeah on this memorial day yeah, not happy Memorial Day. Yeah, uh, I hope you have the money to support your family. And here's to a contemplative, somber Memorial Day commemorating. Yeah, we didn't even cheers. Oh my gosh. Oh. But How I drank we... all. I drank all my drinks. Yeah. I have two glasses in front of me. Hold on, I do too. <laughs> happy Memorial Day. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Oh, you had a nice ring. Mine sounds like a plastic. Well, because I was uh, smashing a martini glass up against my very expensive crystal Ashford Castle glass, Mm. realizing now that was very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) And if it had broken, we would have seen tears. No, no. (laughs) So, little victory. So, wow. Okay. That was a lot. Yep. (laughs) And now Amy's sleeping. <laughs> I'm so sleepy. <laughs> I am so hot. I can't wait to open these windows. Oh my gosh, same. I was I on the floor bad. for a little bit. 
Yeah, I saw you were like, <laughs> I was like, Melissa disappeared. I'm not going to mention it because she's probably laying down. Oh, God. Just on the floor for a little bit. It's so wild. Okay. Yeah, I drank great. I drank five White Claws. That's a lot, honey. Have you been drinking water? Like, it's a yeah. lot of sugar. Like, water. even if, oh, okay. Even if you're not like super drunk, it's a lot of sugar. That's my only. Oh yeah, chug, 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 <laughs> chug that water. Do you want me to spit water out of my nose at the, my computer? Because that's what's gonna happen when you say chug, no. chug, chug. No. I laugh at everything. You know that. No, I know it's nice. I crack myself up like yeah, every episode to the point funny. where I can't speak. There was a bit at the beginning of this episode where you seemed like yeah, you were going to crack up and I'm like, you. and like, I'm like, I don't know why she's laughing. <laughs> like you just every, every sentence you said, you looked like you were about to lose it. And I'm like, what is she saying? That's funny. I don't yeah, understand. I think cause you were talking about how Napoleon's a little bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. And that's probably what you were saying in your head. You were just like, I such a little bitch. Yeah. I was really hoping we could title this episode Napoleon is a baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. That's the title of the episode. Napoleon awesome. is a baby. That's episode perfect. 27. Yep. All right. So that's great. Hopefully we can uh, continue to bring these episodes to you at a timely matter. We'll get hopefully more and more uh, comfortable with the recording remotely until, of course, we can be together in person. But right now, that's looking like a very long time. Never, so. unfortunately. I mean, we're supposed to have a spike in the fall, so we'll see but what all happens. The schools are planning on reopening, so that'll be great. It's true. Don't worry. Notre Dame is uh, making sure that there's extra. <laughs> extra medical facilities for the students and faculty that get sick my the campus i teach at has turned their gymnasium into a field hospital so i'm sure things will be fine by september (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i'm just daily coming to the realization that i'm going to be homeschooling my children indefinitely and that's a lot a mad respect yeah i I can't i (laughs) Drink another. Yeah, this has I'm been sick. tough. <laughs> Drink the number of your children's ages added up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's only I'm a couple more. Sure. That's yeah. only a couple more, right? What is it? Like eight? Six and four. That's ten. Yeah. Holy. Sh- Big girl is six. Yeah, she's six. And he's I four? Fucking bunk bed today. I genuinely thought they were like. Like three and six. <laughs> no. This is because I haven't seen them since you've been back. I have no concept of how old they are. I know. I except know. for in video. But anyways, uh, we should wrap this up. Mm, yeah, <laughs> probably. People don't want to hear about this. <laughs> so thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I hope you join us next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you for listening to Drunk Dish. For recipes and more, please visit DrunkDish.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Apple Music. You can also follow us on Twitter at DrunkDishPod and Instagram at DrunkDish. And again, thanks for listening.